0: I'm Serena from the Geology Podcast Network, coming to you from Kingston, Ontario. Canada is a big place and the majority of us have not been able to explore its full extent. That is why, in the face of a global pandemic keeping us at home, I am bringing you some armchair Canadian geology. Welcome to the Backyard Geology Podcast Series, Canada Edition. Join me on a trip across Canada to look at some of our most treasured sites. This week's stop. Kelowna, British Columbia. As this is the last episode in this series, I admit that eight sites do not fully do Canada justice. The sheer size of the country means that it hosts a variety of geologic settings from mountains to prairies to extensive coastlines. Now, I couldn't possibly wrap up this season of Backyard Geology without talking about the North American Cordillera Mountains. Welcome to the town of Kelowna, which sits in the Okanagan Valley between the main portions of the Coast Mountains to the west and the Rocky Mountains to the east. The mountains satisfy vacationers looking to relax with scenic views and hot springs, and adventurers looking to hike, bike, ski, and rock climb the countless peaks. If you're not from out west, you might just kind of lump together the mountains in British Columbia and Alberta, probably as the Rockies. But, in fact, there are several distinct mountain chains formed over the past 300 million years by a series of plate tectonic processes, which all together make up the North American cordillera. The term cordillera originates from the Spanish language, meaning cord, string, or rope. In Spanish, they pronounce this as Cordillera, whereas in Canada, we massacre the pronunciation with Cordillera. Due to our location in Kelowna, the focus of this podcast will be the Coast Mountains, which sit, as you may have guessed, along the coast, and the Rocky Mountains, sensu stricto, sit in the southern portion of Canada on the border of BC and Alberta, and in north-central BC. They are actually very different in terms of how they formed, so let's get picky here. If you haven't already, I would suggest checking out the Backyard Geology Canada edition episode in Regina, Saskatchewan, where I review the principles of continental drift and plate tectonics. Earth's crust essentially floats on the semi-fluid mantle, allowing for the assembly and disassembly of crustal material. The movement of the continents is responsible for the uplift of the Coast Mountains and the Rocky Mountains, though in different ways. Together, these mountains are referred to as the North American Cordillera, and when combined with the South American Cordillera, also known as the Andes, you have the longest mountain range on the planet, extending for nearly 18,000 kilometers. The Coast Mountains are located on the far western coast of North America. Vancouver being nestled in the southern reaches of the Canadian part of the mountains. They extend from Alaska all the way down to southern BC. They are part of the larger mountain chain, the Pacific Coast Range, which includes the coast mountains and those continuing all the way down to central Mexico. As you can already see, the subdivisions of mountain ranges are extensive, so let's just focus on the ones that you can see from Kelowna. They stretch about 1,600 kilometers in length, and are up to 300 kilometers wide, with dense temperate forests on the coastal portions and spectacular glaciated peaks along its highest reaches. Backing up to about 130 million years ago, the North American continental plate had several neighbours to the west. Along the coast was the insular microplate, then the Kula microplate to the west of that, and then the massive Pacific plate, each of which was made of oceanic crust. The Kula plate had long since been subducting under the insular plate, producing a volcanic arc along the plate margin as material from the Kula plate was melted beneath the insular plate and magma was pushed up to the surface. This process formed a chain of volcanic islands just off the coast of present-day BC, separated from mainland North America by the narrow Bridge River Ocean. Meanwhile, the eastward movement of the Kula Plate caused the subduction of the insular plate under the North American Plate on the coast of BC. This caused volcanism on the margin of the continent. With time, the Insular Plate was completely subducted, and the Insular Volcanic Islands, once at the margin of the Insular Plate and the Kula Plate, collided with North America, closing the Bridge River Ocean. The Kula Plate then began subducting under North America, just like the Insular Plate did. The rocks of the Insular Volcanic Islands would have been too massive to subduct along with the oceanic crust of the Insular Plate and the Kula Plate. Instead, by about 115 million years ago, they were abducted, being compressed, folded and thrusted upwards onto the North American continent, forming the Coast Mountain Range in addition to Vancouver Island. I should mention that the Kula plate was just in the northern part of the Pacific and is responsible for the uplift of most of the Canadian Cordillera, while the Farallon plate to the south of the Kula plate was responsible for the uplift of the American part of the Cordillera. Generally speaking, the Farallon Plate underwent a similar process as the Kula Plate, but it was just a bit further south. The subduction formed the Coast Arc Range, an arc of volcanic activity on the western coast of BC, formed due to the presence of the subduction zone where the Insular and Kula Plate were consumed, and now where the Pacific Plate is subducting under the North American Plate. This occurred about 100 million years ago, during the late Cretaceous period. With time, the subduction of the plates shallowed, transitioning into what is known as flat slab subduction. During flat slab subduction, the asthenosphere essentially gets pinched out. Thinking about the layers of the earth, we have the lithosphere, or crust, on top, which overlies the mantle, the uppermost portion of which is known as the asthenosphere a hot viscous fluid of molten rock. Because of the pinching out of the asthenosphere, the magma source of the coastal magmatism was cut off, and volcanism slowly ceased. to the east the mountains that you see on the border of bc and alberta are not the same as the coast mountains that we just talked about and were actually formed a bit later these are the proper rocky mountains spanning about 2800 kilometers from the northernmost portion of bc down to the state of new mexico in the southern united states unlike the coast mountains which were formed from the abduction of the insular volcanic arc and volcanism associated with the subduction of the Kula and Farallon Plates, the Rockies were formed by the inland scrunching of terrains as the Kula Plate and the Farallon Plate dipped underneath North America. You can think of this as pushing your feet against a rug, and the rug is bunching up. The Kula and Farallon Plates are the feet, and North America is the rug. After diving under the western coast, the plates began to move under the North American plate at a much lower angle, as opposed to diving down on a steep angle. From about 80 to 55 million years ago, after the formation of the Coast Mountains, flat slab subduction of the Kula and Farallon plates under North America scrunched up the inland terrain and uplifted the Rockies. They were formed without volcanism and are made up entirely of uplifted Precambrian crustal material from the North American continent and carbonates that were formed on the continent during the time of the Western Interior Seaway, which you can hear more about in the episode based in Drumheller, Alberta. Today, looking west and east at the coast and the Rocky Mountains respectively, you will see the product of millions of years of uplift caused by long-lived subduction under the North American plate, in addition to more recent erosional processes. Like most of the landforms I've talked about in this season of backyard geology, the Cordillera have been eroded down to their present-day form, including by the scouring of overlying glaciers, some of which still exist today, having carved out small valleys among the peaks. When I talk about large-scale geologic events, such as those that formed the North American Cordillera, I always find it hard to pick where to start. Continental drift is a continuous cycle. The start of an orogeny is hardly when uplift of the mountains begins, but rather includes the setup of the continents that led to the collision, and with that, you can of course go back further and further and further, until you never really reach a starting point. These are the things that occupy my mind sometimes. The processes responsible for the formation of the North American cordillera have produced distinct mountain ranges that are recognized across the globe. Underlying North America are the remnants of ancient tectonic microplates that were slowly shoved under the continent by the eastward movement of the Pacific Plate. As you tour across Canada, don't forget to look at the ground beneath your feet and remember how it came to be. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Backyard Geology Canada edition is part of the Geology Podcast Network and is sponsored by Travelling Geologist.